0: Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Steve thought this would be a good portion for me to speak on. It deals with a real estate transaction. And I know not many of you have occupations that were relevant in the time of Jesus. Anybody? The other one's about a sea merchant. Anybody? No? Okay. That's what I thought. Okay, so Matthew 13, just three verses we're going to hit today, talking about the great treasure hunt. Matthew 13, uh, verses 44 through 46. It said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value... He went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for your word here. We thank you for these two short parables and about this great treasure. Uh, God, teach us about this great treasure. Teach us how we respond to this great treasure. Uh, You speak to us today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So in the mid-1800s, there was a, a great gold rush. And during that time, you know, uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Twitter was not around during that time, so news didn't travel quite uh, at the speed it does today, right? And so when somebody discovered gold, there wasn't a tweet, and five minutes later, the world knew about it. Uh, It took a little time for news to travel east, but as it did, many people got the fever, right? And they wanted to seek this great treasure, and so they would leave everything, and go and, and head west in search of a great treasure. I was reading a few stories about it this week, and, and one caught my attention, a guy by the name of Lorenzo Dow Stevens. Uh, he was uh, born in New Jersey, raised in Illinois, and he, he kind of chronicled his adventure as he headed west. And so at the age of 21, he left Illinois, and he left with a group of 50 other men, and they headed west to seek treasure. And so he talked about what he had to give up to go and seek this treasure. He said, you know, I, I was there the day he was leaving, and I, I wasn't there. He, talking about him here. He, he was there talking about the day he was leaving, and all these people were here, and he's like, I'm giving my childhood friends up, right? I'm giving the comfort of my home up. I'm giving the prospect of marrying someone in the near future up. These were 50 men heading west. He ended up not marrying until 19 years later. And so he talked about all of these things in his life, all the comforts of his life, all that he knew in his life, giving it up to go and seek this great treasure. And so it was kind of cool reading some of the stories that he chronicled as they headed across to Iowa and, you know, down through the mountains and into Utah, eventually into California and talking about these different adventures and people dying along the way, whether disease or other issues that, that arose, but many people... Uh, lost their lives in this pursuit of this great treasure. And this is a picture we get a little bit today, that in this parable, in these two parables, these two individuals are seeking and find a great treasure. And their response is really what we see. They're willing to give up everything for this great treasure. So they are two of the shortest parables, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the great uh, pearl of great price. Uh, But today we want to look at this great treasure, and there's two uh, things that I want us to see. Uh, The first one is that this great treasure is always hidden in unexpected places. Uh, In the first parable, we see this man is working in the field and he finds a treasure. And this is uh, by like complete accident, right? He's He's in his job. He's doing the work. He's in the field. He starts digging. And he wasn't looking for the treasure, but here it was hidden in a very ordinary place. And it was complete accident, total shock to him. Uh, If you look close in the second one, you're going to see the same thing. This is a merchant. And he was looking for fine pearls, but he finds something far greater. And the word fine there means he was out looking uh, for deals. Basically, he was He was kind of doing his job, right, trying to find these deals. But in the pursuit of that, he finds this something of extraordinary value. And in both cases, we see they find this treasure very unexpectedly. So the first principle is always hidden in unexpected places. The second one, the second principle is when you find real spiritual treasure, every part of your life is changed. I, I don't read a lot of books, but I listen to a lot of books because I'm in my car all the time. It's just been my, my, my habit now. We down, I download books, and I listen to them. And So I was kind of looking through a couple of days ago, looking through my bookshelf on my phone, if you will. And There's many books in there, and um, some of those books, you know, you'll, you'll, there, there's the book How to Win Friends and Influence People. There's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and there's other books like that. Right, Really kind of these almost self-help books. And so many times our bookshelf looks like that. Right, We have all these books and the Bible's with it and we see that. But the reality of this treasure that we find, it's not something that improves us. It's something that remakes us. Right, It's just not like another one of those books that, okay, here's going to be the next thing to kind of help you in life. The next thing that you can do to improve your life. When you encounter this great treasure... It totally transforms you, right? It just doesn't help you. It just doesn't improve you. It completely remakes who you are. And you're going to notice in these two stories, there is a tremendous amount of differences between these two people. In one case, the treasure is found completely by accident. The person's just kind of digging in the field, and then suddenly, boom, there's a the treasure. Uh, the, the second one, the merchant is kind of looking for, not necessarily that treasure, but he is out looking for fine pearls. In one case, we have a common working man. He's probably even poor, right? This is everyday work. He's working in the field, so he's, it's very common work, right? Probably didn't have a lot of money. He's just doing common work. And the other one, a pearl merchant, was probably someone of incredible wealth. Had a lot. In the first story, we see that when the worker of the field goes to buy the field, The owner does not know anything about the treasure, right? He doesn't know the worth of this thing. In the second story, I think it's pretty evident, right? Here's this guy, this pearl merchant, and the person who has this fine pearl understands the value because this guy is offering everything that he has to get that. So he understands the value of it. But with all these differences, one thing in both stories remains the same. When they get a hold of this great treasure, what is their response? They sell everything. They give up everything. what Jesus is telling us that in order to get this great treasure, everything goes on the block and everything about our lives change. I think you look and, and you the disciples are a great example of this, right? I mean, even Peter, who's, who's talking to Jesus, says, We've given up everything to follow you. Right? They gave up family. They gave up their occupation. They dropped everything to follow Jesus. When we find this great treasure, everything is on the block. Everything. Give up everything to follow him. And their lives are changed. So a spiritual treasure, if it's real, it just won't improve you in a little way. It will transform you completely when you find this great treasure. So let's take a look at each principle. So I'll go back to the first principle here, this idea that the treasure is hidden. So as we think about this this concept, we're going to see it in both, that the treasure is hidden, but it's, it's probably seen more in the first. And so you read this story, and I'm going to read it to you again here. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. You know, it's, it's easy to look at this and see, well, that seems really unlikely, right? I mean, some guy just randomly digging in a field and all of a sudden there's great treasure. You know, I don't dig in a lot of fields, I've never planted a garden uh, or in really any kind of physical work, uh, but... But I'm trying to imagine, if, if you go out and you're going to plant this field, that what are the chances that you're going to find some great treasure in your yard? Probably zero. But, but here's, here's how it was in those days. See, back in those days, there were no banks, right? People didn't go store their wealth in those type of places. If you had wealth, if you had belongings, they were with you or they were wi- in your home. And so you would keep them. What was also common in those days is there would be looters or there would be raiders or there would be an army coming. And so in order to protect your wealth, if you knew something like this was going to happen, you would go and you would bury your belongings, your wealth, your treasure in your yard, in your field, so that no one could find it. And the raiders, the looters, whoever, the army would come, and if you happened to survive, well, then you knew where it was. But many times people didn't. And they'd be killed uh, by these armies or raiders or whatever it might be. And the treasure remained buried. So this was a very common thing, right? And so this, especially in this portion of the world, this land has been fought over uh, for, for centuries, right? And so this is what's taking place is, you know, this guy's out in the field. He starts digging, and there he finds this great treasure. And so what do you want to do? We turned around, he buried it, and his went, and he found, um, and he wanted to purchase this land. And so uh, what was also common is uh, the Jewish law at that time said finders keepers. Okay, So basically as the law read, if you found something, you could keep it. Uh, now, the, we also know that they were under Roman rule and Roman oppression at the time, right? So although the Jewish law said this guy could find it, he could keep it, Uh, The the Roman law was much more ambiguous and and so not fully understood. So this guy knew what he had to do, right? So he finds this treasure, he buries the treasure, and he says, okay, I want to make sure that nobody else is going to contest it, nobody else is going to lay claim to this treasure, so I'm going to bury the treasure, and then I'm going to go sell everything I have, and I'm going to buy this field with this great treasure that's in there. And so that's exactly what he did. He knows that what he's found was by his rights were his, but unless he bought the field, he couldn't be completely sure that no one else could contest it. He also knows something else that nobody knows, right? Underneath the ordinary, right? This is just a plain, everyday field. Underneath the ordinary, there laid a great treasure, and he would give up everything to get it. And I love the picture because it's a picture that we know about Jesus, that he has always buried his treasure under the ordinary. You think of what the world looks at. What does the world look at? The world looks at how people look, how much money you have, your status, your position within the world, stature, money, if you're educated, all of those things is what the world looks at. But I think Jesus very deliberately does the opposite. And so the world looks at those things and they're going to say, yeah, you know what? That person's got position, he's got power, he's got money, he's got all those things. Awesome. But Jesus very deliberately says, if you want to find treasure, treasure you have to get over that. You have to get over how the world views things, how the world looks at things. Because treasure is underneath. And in this case, a dirty old lot, right? Not much to it. Not much to look at. But there it is. And so there's three ways in which he buries under the ordinary. The first is he hides it under ordinary people. God has a tendency to work with people that the world might consider less, might consider losers, right? I mean, the disciples are another great example of that, right? These guys were ordinary people you know probably not first in their class right they didn't become the pharisees or whatever it might have been they they didn't do that and they're ordinary people and yet jesus chose them to follow him god has a tendency to work with people exactly like that listen to first corinthians what paul says in first corinthians chapter 1 starting in verse 25 he says for the foolishness of god is wiser than human wisdom And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God shows the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God shows the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God shows the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not To nullify the things that are. God chooses to use people who, on the surface, are a lot like that field, right? There's not much to them. And so, if God's using you, no offense, right? But this is the type of people that God chooses to use. All that Paul described there in 1 Corinthians, that in the eyes of the world, it just doesn't work. And so when the world looks at it, it's just completely upside down. Like, well, why would we choose to use that? Why would, why would God choose to use that, right, instead of what we see on an everyday basis based on looks, money, power, position? But God hides his treasure in ordinary people. He also, Jesus buries his treasure in ordinary places. Like a common field. Right? In this parable, it's a, just a common field where the average, everyday man is working. The problem is, you, you see common things like that, and we don't, what we want uh, is to believe, or at least in the, the world's eyes, that this great treasure is almost, the field is too easy to access, right? It's too accessible. In the, in the world's eyes, to find something that's great, like you have to go and you have to search for it. Go back to the store at the beginning, right? This gold, great gold rush. I mean, to, to find real treasure, it's got to be an adventure. You have to go on this great quest to find it. Uh, I don't, if you've heard the name uh, Forrest Fenn. Anybody know the name Forrest Fenn? So Forrest Fenn, uh, he uh, had this great treasure that he created, Okay, In 2010, he went and buried this treasure out in the uh, southwest part of the United States. And so he, he started this great treasure hunt. In 2010, the treasure was thought to be somewhere between $1 to $5 million in value. Okay, And so he put a little clue in his autobiography. And so since then, over 350,000 people began to look. I actually have a couple friends that... They went and they looked. Clues, and there's people, you know, you can look online about these clues that people had to find this treasure. And over 350,000 people went to look for this great treasure and read that even people died. Like, it was in a place that was not easily accessible. And so people died on this great pursuit. Well, uh, in 2020, that treasure was found uh, by a guy on the East Coast. I was reading a little bit. He, He wanted to kind of remain anonymous but has been since kind of outed a little bit but there was a great treasure and people were after it right and that's our picture like man to get a great treasure we got to we got to go on this great quest it's got to be a lot of work it's got to be you know life and limb all these things to access a great treasure but what Jesus wants us to understand in this parable is that real treasure is easily accessible This is what we expect when we have to go on that great journey. But Jesus is showing that in ordinary places, you can find a great treasure. Because that's exactly what the gospel is. It's ordinary. It's so ordinary. You look at it, and the world looks at it and, like, no, that's too easy. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and if we believed, believe in him, we'd be saved by grace. Okay, well, what's next? What do I have to do next? like it's too accessible. But Jesus wants us to understand that. Like that's how that's how accessible it is. Great treasure is that accessible. It's right underneath us, right? Just like that guy on this common field. It's right there. It's right there. This great treasure. And oftentimes, you know, uh, for someone who doesn't know Jesus, that can be a stumbling block. But I think even for followers of him, it can be the same. We as Christians stumble over that. Like, okay, I know the gospel, but now if I want to change the world, now what do I need to do? What's next? What what do I have to do? Let's get deeper here. Let's look into this. And now, if we're going to make an impact in the lives and the world around us, what's the next step? And the truth is, this is it. Like if we know and we understand and we live out the gospel, this is how we change the world. This is how we impact the lives around us. And it's so easy because we hear the gospel all the time and uh, we just kind of gloss over it. But, and we walk right into the simplicity of the gospel because it is so simple. It is so accessible. And do we understand that Jesus dying on the cross for our sins is the answer to every problem. It is the solution to everything that is wrong in this world. The simple message of the gospel is the answer. Jesus buries his treasure under a field of ordinariness. Third, Jesus buries it in ordinary people, in ordinary places, but he also buries it in himself. He buries it himself. Look how he came into the world, right? Born in a manger. Born to... Two poor parents that gave pigeons as a sacrifice, like that was—you knew you had no money or no wealth if that if that was your sacrifice that you gave. Isaiah talks about like there's nothing seen in him, there's nothing in his appearance, right? It's not how the world looks at it or the handsome and good looking and all that. No, there was nothing in his appearance that would draw you to him. Ordinary, poor family. His disciples, all the same thing, right? Rejected, losers, whatever. And then ultimately, he dies on the cross like a common criminal. Like everything that you look at is ordinary. Ordinary family, ordinary birth, ordinary followers. And yet he buries this great treasure in something that is ordinary. And so I don't think the world can handle this ordinariness that surrounds him because no other religion claims that God gave up his glory to become ordinary, right? Because that's not what's attractive in the world's eyes. Like in the world's eyes, like why? No, they, they want someone who became a god, right? I mean, we watch all the Marvel movies, right? And we, we watch these and all these guys that are like, I mean, that's what the world is attracted to. That's not how Jesus works. That's not how God works. Buried in the ordinary. Because that's uh, what Jesus does for us then, is he makes something ordinary on the outside, a field full of treasure. And so as God begins to work in our life, that's how it can become for us. Like when we, we realize and, and we grasp that great treasure then that great treasure is hidden within us. I, I, uh, there's a, um, uh, an excerpt from the book A Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, and it's talking about this character, Sarah Smith. And in it, uh, as you read the story, this guy's getting a tour basically of heaven, and there's uh, some, this one individual that's coming, and like he wants to know who this famous person is. And so the guide shares who this famous person is and and here's how it kind of goes and so he he whispers to his guide is it is it no not at all it's someone you'll never have heard of her name on earth was sarah smith and she lived at golders green she seems to be well a person the response she seems to be well a person of particular importance ah she is one of the great ones you have heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. And who are all these young men and women at her side? They are her sons and daughters. Oh, she must have a very large family, sir. Every young man or boy that met her became her son, even if it was only the boy that brought the meat to her back door. Every girl that met her was a daughter. But isn't, isn't that hard on her own parents? No, there are those that the steal other people's children, but her motherhood was one of a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents, loving them even more. I looked at my teacher in amazement. Yes, he said, It is like when you throw a stone into a pool and the waves spread out further and further. Who knows where it will end? Redeemed humanity is still young. It has hardly come to its full strength. But already there is joy enough in the little finger of a great saint, such as a yonder lady, to waken all the dead things of the universe into life. I love this picture. Because Jesus buries great treasure in himself, but when we experience this great treasure that he is, he buries it within us as well. And this story of Sarah Smith, in, An ordinary individual from an ordinary place, yet did extraordinary things. But in the world's eyes, right, it was nothing. But in the eyes of the kingdom, in the eyes of the Father, it was everything. That is what we find when we find this great treasure. So the first principle is the treasure is hidden. It's hidden in people, it's hidden in places, it's hidden in Jesus himself. The second principle is if you ever find spiritual treasure, it changes your life completely. So a few things happen to to both of these individuals in this story. Is What they do is they assess the treasure that they found and then they respond in their minds that this treasure is worth an incredible lot. Uh, The pearl merchant was someone of wealth, as any pearl merchant might have been, and he was willing to liquidate everything that he had to get this great pearl. But in both cases, their attitude towards everything else in life is different when they experience and encounter this great treasure. It changes everything, everything. I want you to imagine for a second that uh, you may be dying for an an incurable disease. And I have the medicine that is going to help you. I have the medicine that is going to make you healthy. Now, before that moment, you can think about the things that have been precious to you in life. Maybe it's your house that you make those payments on every month, right? Maybe it's that new car that you drive. Maybe it's other things that you have. Like they hold this significance but when we encounter the thought of death, what happens to those things? Pretty meaningless, right? And so now if I'm dying from an incurable disease and I have the, uh, you are and I have the medicine for it, what would you give up to get that? Those things that you once held dear, you probably would do anything, right? If you could have that healing from the medicine, that car, that house, whatever it might be, you would give up anything to do it. These things that we once held precious are now pale in comparison to that thing that could heal us. In both cases, they took all the material wealth to buy this great treasure. And the reason is because their heart, they had already done the transfer of wealth, right? In their minds, in their hearts, they said, Yes, I'm willing to give up everything so I can experience that great treasure, so I can have that great treasure. See, it happens has to happen in my heart first, right? It happens to happen in my mind first. Before I can physically do these things, I have to have made that transfer of wealth in my heart and in my mind. And for both of these individuals, they had done that. At that point, it was easy for them to give up their wealth. It was easy for them to give up everything they own to acquire this great treasure because in their heart and their mind, they'd made that transfer of wealth already. So to do it physically, yeah, no problem. Uh, I, I read in, in this, here's a good test to know where your heart is. Two things. Uh, one, if you want to know what you really worship, where does your mind go in solitude? In silence. As I sit in silence and solitude, what happens? Do you begin to worry? Do you begin to fantasize about something? What do you begin to dwell on and think on? And it shows us where our heart is. That's a difficult, that's a convicting one for me. As I sit in solitude and silence, where does my mind and my heart wander? The second uh, test of where your heart is, what is it that if you lose it, You wouldn't want to go on. Think about that. If I sat in silence, where does my mind go? Or if there was something in my life that I lost it, I don't think I could go on. It will give you a picture of where your your heart is. So for these guys, they experienced this great treasure. And for them to give up all of those things, it was easy. Because the great treasure is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth everything that we have, all that we have, all that we are. It is worth. So ask yourself those two questions. In my solitude, in my silence, where? Where does my mind and my heart go? What is the thing if I lost it I couldn't bear to go on? It will answer where your heart is. When you come to God with the question is have we already made the transition in our heart? So many times we come to God saying, I want to change. I want to do this. I want to do that. But, but that transition has not happened in our heart, right? We, we, want, we want this character change, or I want to quit doing that, or I want to start doing that. But has the transition happened in our hearts? In both parables, we look at the physical transfer of wealth, and it's easy because they both have done it emotionally first. These guys are are looking at what they are giving up and they are looking at what they are gaining and with joy they'll give it all up because what they are gaining is so much greater this great treasure is so worth it for them to give all of that up everything we have our physical wealth in this world is fading turned to ashes And yet so much, we put our emotional, our physical wealth into that. Are you like that? I am so many times. Like, my investment is in things that are going to fade away. And it's so easy to do, right? But if we understand what Jesus has done for us, if we truly understand that, there isn't anything we wouldn't give up. If we truly understand it. If we truly understand how great of a treasure this is. And the only way we know is that if we've made that emotional transfer of wealth first, we'd be willing to lay down anything, and without condition. Right? It's not like, hey, God, if you do this for me, then... No. But when we've experienced the great treasure, there's nothing we wouldn't do. His treasure is worth everything you have. And if you haven't found it, I would urge you to keep searching, to keep looking, because it's worth it, right? For those that have found it, it is worth everything that they have. And there's no middle ground with people that encounter this great treasure. Like, look at the stories when people encounter Jesus. They run from him, they want to kill him, or they sell everything to follow him. There was no middle ground. When we encounter the great treasure in our hearts, When we truly encounter it, it's worth it, right, to give up everything. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the great treasure. God, if we're here this morning and we've not found this great treasure, God, may we continue to seek it. May we continue to search after it. May you reveal your son, the great treasure, to us. Because there is nothing greater in this life. All the treasures of this world will fade away. They will not fulfill our heart's desires. Only the greatest treasure, Jesus, will do that. And this morning, we want to remember Jesus. We want to remember just how simple it is. That Jesus' body was broken. His blood was shed. He went to the cross for us. And all we have to do is believe that. And by grace, by your grace, we can be saved. Now that is a treasure. It's a treasure worth dying for. It's a treasure worth giving everything up for. It's the only treasure worth living for. Thank you, Jesus. May you be that treasure in our life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: We're going to have a, a time where we um, take communion. You should have a, a little cup and a wafer on your chair. And this is just our opportunity to remember the great sacrifice uh, that Jesus has made on our behalf. I'm reminded of, of what Paul wrote. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, being poor, uh, might become rich. and and how amazing is it that in giving up everything else um, to seek after this great treasure of Jesus himself, that we actually gain um, a riches beyond anything we can imagine. And yet Jesus did this by the price of his own body and blood. So let's just take a moment to uh, reflect and sometime during the next song. Um, as you, after you've had a chance to do that, uh, you may take the bread and the Thank mm-hmm. you.